Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca slash IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with people who are driving change in our community. You cannot listen to the news today without finding some type of dot 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 tech, ag tech, fintech, med tech, clean tech, biotech, prop tech, um, maybe, and I'm pretty sure we fit squarely in this category, but I'm happy to have a returning guest, actually, one of my crossover guests, originally was on They Just Get It, looked way back, I think I found my my notes to tell me was February 13th, 2020, right before the world changed. Robert Price and I had a good conversation about what he's building at Bode. So I'm excited to have you back on, Robert, to get some updates, find out, you know, kind of quote unquote, where where are we now and what have we been doing for the last couple of years? What, what do we have to show for this amazing pandemic we've all gone through? And uh, happy to have you back on. How are you, my friend? Fantastic. Great to be here. And I can't believe that two years has happened that fast, but glad that we're on the other end of the uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, of the abyss that we were in there for a couple of years. I have no concept of time. I don't know if you've also been affected <laughs> by this phenomenon. People are like, when did that happen? I'm like... Pretty sure it was before COVID. Anyway, anyways, big. It was a big. It was a big time warp that we've that we've all been in. But in the meantime, and I was on your site this morning playing around, and I don't know. It's like I used to do when I was a kid when I'd go on like or I'd buy Auto Trader and I'd flip through and look at all the different cars. And I was doing that on your website this morning. What's going on in my neighborhood and what's happening? And obviously, Calgary's been through some interesting kind of real estate uh, realities over the last couple of years. So curious how that's affected you guys. But I'll, I'll stop raving about what I've, but, but tell us about Bode. What do you guys do? What's your reason for being in the world? And then kind of let's unpack this business that you're building. Yeah, we, uh, well, we launched right around the time we had our first conversation. So I've uh, been in the market for a couple of years. And, and basically okay. what we do is uh, create a online capability to buy and sell real estate without an agent. So all of the tools, all of the data, the contracts, the uh, functionality that you need to make it really convenient, really easy, and it, at the end of the day, very cost effective um, to buy and sell property, never having to rely on another human and controlling the entire experience from start to finish. I like control. I like not relying on other humans, but I like the thing you didn't say was, uh, and I'll speak to someone who sold it and bought a few houses, saving the fees, I imagine, is a big part of that as well, as far as my mo- my motivation of like, sorry, what? How much do I have to pay you, Mr. and Mrs. Realtor? 
and not criticizing or saying anything bad about my past realtor experiences, but sometimes the number did feel a bit jarring. <laughs> I'm assuming was that was a key motivation for you guys in terms of like quote unquote problem to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think where there are where there are logistical and administrative tasks, a lot of which an agent does as coordinating and you're coordinating with their schedule and you have all these different conversations and there's two agents involved. It's very inefficient. It's very slow for them and you. Uh, you can automate a lot of that. In fact, all of it. And that's what we've done. So by automating it, you can then have a very lean organization and we can then bring that value back to customers by charging uh, only 1% upon sale. And then it's actually free to buy with us. So our customers, what's been really interesting, uh, okay. just taking a quick quick step back, is our sellers have sold for 1.3% higher than the agent does in a transaction. And that really is because our sellers are very get very smart about their values. They stay patient and they ultimately get the number that they want. Uh, whereas typically an agent is going to try to persuade you in, their, in terms of their incentives to uh, sell the property as soon as possible. And because they know if it sells, they make a lot of money. If it, if it doesn't sell, they make zero dollars. So they're uh, very much in the business of trying to, or their incentives are to uh, make you sell as early and often as possible. Um, so that 1.3% higher sounds like a small number, but when you say our fee is 1%, you actually make <laughs> money by selling us, selling with us and then buying for free also turns into our customers that buy and sell with us save about $30,000 in Alberta, keep that equity back in their pocket. Uh, and that number is almost double in BC. So that's, that's a big part of our passion, of course, for this business, as you say. Well, I love, I love your numbers and how simple they are. Like, you don't, I didn't need to bust out the calculator, barely needed to take notes to keep up with what was going on. Just curious. And I, I Mike, my guilty of curiosity, why double in BC? What's the difference between the two provinces? Just higher property values. Oh, okay, so just the, dollars. Oh, just a factor yeah. of dollars. Okay, okay. A $500,000 house here might be a million dollars house there if it's in Lower Mainland. Maybe, or maybe more. Well, yeah, even and or, orders of magnitude actually higher, especially in the pandemic. It's gone gone even crazier. Like the average attached home in Vancouver is $1.8 million. The <laughs> average attached in Calgary is five fifty, So more than triple uh, for the equivalent, call it the equivalent house with the from an equivalent vintage. Wow, that's, that's, yeah, you know the numbers and you hear them floating around, but when you just sit them, sit them side by side, each other like that. Um, where do you guys operate? Do you operate in Alberta and BC or right across Canada? Or what's your geography? We are Alberta wide and we are in 80% of BC. So Vancouver and areas, the interior, um, and, and shortly we'll be in essentially all of BC and then on the cusp of getting licensed in Ontario as well. So our plan is to, uh, expand across Canada. I think I mentioned that briefly a couple of years ago. So we're you did, you hold, did. <laughs> holding true to that. Um, and then we'll also look at the American market as well. Well, before we get into the business and the, the capital and the raise and the tech and how you've kind of tackled all this, I'm curious, I'm still, I'm still in my, my potential consumer. Uh, what's my main risk that like, if I'm fearful of like, Ooh, geez, this feels risky. I've done it with a realtor before. They kind of handled things. 
what 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 risks do you typically or like kind of what are my top three maybe maybe perceived or real that as a consumer would be my risk aversion to keep me from engaging and using this product? Which is, I guess is kind of we're working our way towards product market fit. What would stop me from using this product? What would I be scared of? Yeah, I think a lot of people. So so when we look at the market, it works out to about 50-50. There's fifty percent of people that would be scared to do this on their own and take control of it and be nervous. Uh, then the other half of Canadians say, I would prefer to sell without anybody advising me because I'm totally comfortable doing this in many other facets in my life, whether it's banking or booking travel, or as you mentioned earlier, uh, buying and selling cars. Um, that I, I'm, I'm actually a bigger believer in my own judgment. I've created my own success to be able to afford a house and I'm educated and I've got, I've, I believe in my own success more than relying on somebody else that has the incentives that are in some cases actually completely opposed to my own success. So I think, I think where people, um, the biggest challenge to answer your question directly is people get nervous. People have been told that it's hard. People have been told that it's complicated. People have been uh, fear-mongered for decades, basically, on this topic. And the really exciting part is the reality is it's not. And that's what our customers tell us after they sell. They say, I knew all along, I knew that it was going to be, I I just felt like it would be this easy. And you guys proved that it is this easy and proved all these other agents that told me it was way too complicated wrong. And I feel amazing about that. And I will never use an agent again. So I think it's really, that is the biggest risk is undoing or the perception um, that it is more difficult than it is. And then undoing that perception that has, has uh, permeated for decades in this space. Ignorance is scary. You don't, you, you, and fear is so much generated from the unknown. There's a very specific, oh, geez, that's very complicated. And there's lawyers, and there's paperwork. And, oh, I'm just going to avoid that. Is there an age factor there? Is this a, I do everything else digitally, why wouldn't I? Like, it kind of harkens to that, but I don't want to, I don't want to, there's a lot of boomers talking about, we were talking about just different generations. You can be older and have younger tendencies. And I only say that in the sense of the way you are comfortable or not with technology. Do you see it as age or do you see it more as the individual and what they're, they are or are not comfortable with tech-wise? Yeah, we kind of think, we kind of look at it like 92% of Canadians have a smartphone and this is, this is like an app on your phone. So uh, that, that really is, you know, long-term that's, that's very much where we're, our, our business is growing fast and the, the generational movement towards this, uh, there are tailwinds behind that. But, you know, when we set out, we did to answer your question again directly. We, uh, we were, believing that millennials were going to be by far the dominant users of our platform. And they are, they are a big part of our market, but we've been surprised to see that there are more um, older generations joining in as well. And we found that's because they've transacted four or five, six properties, like the average Canadian transacts every five years. So if they've been mm. through it before, they have all the, all the battle scars of dealing with, uh, their previous experience and looking at the fees that they paid and the value they actually got for that expense and have been very effective at, at working with us as well. So it really is quite a wide demographic. And if you look at our profile, it's almost identical to Airbnbs in terms of the, the volume of users and people that transact, which 
of course, Airbnb was one of the inspirations in terms of how he came up with this vision. You could never just rent a random stranger's house on your own. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> don't sleep at a stranger's house and don't uh, don't get in a car with a all the things that we grew up. The joke that we grew up being told not to do. Technology has an <laughs> and an incredibly effective and often very very safe um, way. You mentioned that it's kind of pivoting into growing your market, return customers, retention. I have a great experience, but I don't buy another house for five years. You guys are a couple of years in right now. I'm assuming, would it be safe to say like from a market and like retention perspective, you're still really early in that stage. Like I just haven't bought and sold my next house yet. So I haven't you know, like, feels like your customer acquisition is a, is a big, is, is, is your probably number one priority because you haven't built that critical mass just by the time in which I, like, I'm going to use Airbnb a couple times a year. I'm going to use an Uber a couple times a week. I'm going to transact on average. Thank you for saying that five years. That's got to play into a little bit of your customer acquisition costs, knowing that you don't get to really reap the benefit for potentially five years, just on average. Yeah, and that's why it's so critical. You met, mentioned customer centricity before we jumped on this call. It's so critical that that seller has or buyer has an amazing experience that it's noteworthy enough that they tell their friends and family about it. And what we're finding is um, our average seller tells 20 other people about their experience. Nice. nice. And, and, now, and now our biggest growth factor is word of mouth, uh, which we had initially planned because exactly to your point this happens every five years so uh, we need to create an, such an exceptional experience that people as as Lindsay, our marketing executive would say uh, shouting from the rooftops about how amazing that was and we're seeing that happen which has been the biggest fuel of our growth the other part of our model that offsets that as well is we sit, we work with a lot of home builders a lot of the si significant developers and home builders in well now across western canada where they do, you know, in their cases, in their case, they're building a thousand properties a year. And so there is that regular cadence, of course, they're constantly building and constantly developing. So the combination of that from a business model perspective is, is uh, part of what makes this really attractive. Well, I love it that because the business case for them, it, it's a line item, it's on a, it's planned out. If we can save X amount of percentage, like that's a very, that feels like an easier sell. You, again, you doesn't need, you don't need too many slides to show the value proposition from a, from an actual economics. And as the price of the lumber and everything goes through, I'm, I, I, we work with some home builders and I, I appreciate every dollar matters. And, and you know, as the, as, as the buyer, you don't see that, but the cost of the tap or the cost of the realtor fees, it's all factored into that price you pay in, in for that home. Uh, Thinking about, uh, I lost my train of thought there as I went down another little rabbit hole on, on my own. But yeah, I, I read an article years ago and as a marketer, they were talking about, I think it was Airbnb and specifically Uber, how they're like, well, they don't really actually, they haven't invested a lot of money in their brands. They haven't invested a lot of money in your traditional marketing approach. And if I think back, both those things I heard about through word of mouth, I didn't see an ad. I didn't see anything. It was like, oh, hey, have you heard of this? I'm like, what is this, what is this crazy thing you speak of? So I like when you say that. And as a marketer, of course, you're always like, okay, let's build this amazing brand and let's put this marketing dollars behind it. And let's get our message out versus what we were chatting about earlier, don't stop trying to surprise and delight, just make it super easy and let the surprise be that, that it even exists. And I think Uber and Airbnb are really good examples of companies that didn't blow their brains out of marketing. It was the experience that sold. And every, both those I've heard, you know, probably for six months before I used it was like, oh, hey, have you tried this? Hey, have you checked this out? It was all word of mouth, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And, and that starts with, you have to have something very different. Like you, if you don't have a totally transformational model um, and both of those are examples of huge industry transformations. In Airbnb's case, they created an industry. 
if you don't have that, then you can't rely on the sheer notable factor, the, the word of mouth and the viral effect. You would have to invest in like 90% of the other companies invest in yeah. big ad dollars and look at that ROI and create awareness and try to help muscle other people in ad spend. Um, so we're playing, we're playing the same game as Uber and Airbnb because our model is that different. And as you say, it's the, it's the, the value proposition that's totally different and the experience that's totally different. And then once you come to our site, it's about making it so convenient, so easy uh, that your mind is blown and and then you, you become a customer for life and you bring as many other, tell as many other friends and family about just how amazing it is. That's our goal. Well, there's those among us who love to be the person who discovered the new thing and tell somebody about it. Go, hey, have you checked this out? Have you heard of this thing? Those are those are gold when it comes to especially something like this. So talk to me about, let's go back to starting the business. Obviously, technology was a key part of making this actually function. That was your engine. Funding, can't, can't not talk about that identified a problem so when you guys look back from a from a startup and uh, maybe you're still a startup there's such a when is someone no longer a startup that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast episode unto itself is it a mindset is it cash flow is it product market fit and there's a whole bunch of theories all that seem to differ a little bit so would you guys still consider yourself a startup let me just let me just leave with that question mm-hmm. we were actually joking about that the other day because we often still use the startup nomenclature but yeah. i like to say we're a new business that's scaling there's startup okay. and there's scale up so i think we're yeah in the middle of the the first part of the scale up uh, phase of our business, which is an exciting place to be as when you ask the question of looking back, you know, two and a half years ago when we started with a blank sheet of paper, um, sometimes these kinds of conversations really make you recognize the crazy amount of, of uh, growth and success you've had, even though it doesn't necessarily always feel like that day to day. I am uh, very guilty for not celebrating those little wins as my team has told me many times. I'm always just focusing on the next thing I have to win at, but I've already won that. I don't need to like, let's move, let's move forward, but moving from startup to scale up and yeah, where we chatted two, two years ago with the idea and the concept, I have to say from a consistency, it's only become more refined. It hasn't shifted. Like, so did you find that through that journey, you guys had to shift so many startups going to get going and like, oh geez, you know, the big idea wasn't actually the right idea. But now that I've talked to my customer, I found something different. I'm hearing, I'll be blunt. I'm hearing a lot of consistency from what I remember. And the chat that you and I had worth is now what I'm living and breathing, clicking through on my, on my, on my screen here at home. Yeah, very much. uh, People would call me a fundamentalist. I look at I always look at whether it's my own companies or investing in other companies are the fundamentals solid. Do you have a truly unique value proposition? Is the market opportunity significant? Are you creating value that nobody else has seen or, or not accomplishing? Um, do you have long-term sustainability in terms of uh, taking that market position and really being the leader in that space. So, so we, we really haven't, we've really just delivered on, on the original vision. Um, that's not to say, like, so I would say from a fundamental transaction marketplace standpoint, all of that's remained really, really strong and concrete, but knowing that there's all the different ways to make the experience better in terms of functionality and add add ons and ways to manage your home, ways to look at your equity, um, other, if you kind of broaden the scope to say, what about everything, you know, there's the transaction, but then there's everything that happens in between the transaction. And we have many, many exciting and novel ideas on that front because there really isn't an obvious way right now to uh, 
maintain your home? Where do those records go? Where do you keep track of uh, your renovations? How do you understand ROI in terms of adding that patio or that you know, paintwork or upgrading your kitchen? How do you look at that? How do you track it? How do you understand it? Um, your mortgage options, that's still all very old school. Um, so, so there's the, I've always had this, this principle of your home is absolutely, you know, your home where your family, the emotional side of it, the lifestyle effect of it, that's absolutely important, of course. But the other side of that is also that it's your biggest asset for most of Canadians. It's, it's our largest asset. So having a once every, you know, three, four or five years view of value and being totally blind in the, in between, uh, that doesn't create that doesn't create a very good asset management approach. If you think of your stocks, if you think of your portfolio, most of us, if you're me, I'm looking at it daily. <laughs> uh, but <the laughs> which can be unhealthy in another direction. But anyways, that's what we won't yeah. talk about that. <laughs> it's probably healthier <laughs> weekly or monthly, but 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 we all have uh, our own. We all have our own proclivities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so if you if you take the way that the way that you would be able to determine home value on a regular basis before it's, I get, I can pay $500 to get a home appraisal. I can ask an agent and they can send me some stuff, but they basically only want to do that if I'm buying or selling. And I can look at my tax dollars or my tax assessment, I should say. And that is highly politicized and often just completely inaccurate. So our biggest asset, we're totally blind. That makes no sense. And that's another thing that we'll be uh, working on to refine and make very simple and, get people confident so they can make smart decisions about when they're buying and selling. Now that it's more efficient to buy and sell from a cost perspective, it makes it easier to think of mm. your asset in a more liquid way and from a value standpoint. And be more and be more informed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I'm sure with so many startups I talk to, it's, it's, not, it's not lack of opportunities that holds you back. It's which ones do you say yes to? Which ones do you say no to? Which, which, which top 100 features we could add are actually the right tickets to kind of execute on? Talk to me a little bit about funding. Of course, this is follow the money. So all pivoting around the you know, companies at different stages. And you know, obviously, it's startup to scale up. That's even different stage of a funding model. You want to give us a little bit of a breakdown? Did you guys bootstrap? Did you kind of self-fund this? Did you have a couple key investors? Take us a little bit on that journey for anybody like either on it, curious about you, or also like looking at it going, geez, how would I even tackle this for my own organization? Yeah, when we started, I took a bit of a unique approach probably than some of the other guests on your show. Um, we invested, I, bootstrap kind of implies that you uh, work for free and and maybe, yes. uh, and I, maybe and I remember you you didn't money. you didn't take that model if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, we we invested significantly ourselves, the the founders and the board. And I did start with a board right from the start uh, because I wanted to surround surround myself with as many smart people as possible uh, to make a really you know at the end of the day it's a comprehensive team. The board is a part of your team. My advisors are part of your team, and then of course our management group and, and the broader team. So putting all those pieces together in a way that offset um, my weaknesses and create a, a fulsome approach to um, how we're going to win in a very big industry with a lot of baggage and a lot of complexity. Um, so that I started that way and then we heavily invested ourselves uh, as a, both because we really believed in this purpose, but also, um, that creates a really different culture when you have everybody has has really uh, put their money 
where their mouth is. And so that, that has basically brought us through to today. And, and so we did, we've done a number of rounds, but we kept them pretty tight because, okay. um, we knew we would invest more. So it was more just kind of keeping it efficient and, and looking for the, the most kind of, uh, opportunistic view of that capital and seeing what we could do with it. Okay. Um, but then, but then over time, we've also added independent strategic investors, other CEOs, other entrepreneurs, other multi-sector people that have the ability to open doors on the financial side or on the home builder side or real estate connections in general or tech experience, um, community kind of broader community connections. So, so very much looking, always looking at it as where's the smart money for this particular business, as opposed to just dollars and cents in isolation. I really appreciate the which, which money can open doors, which money can make introductions, which money can, well, I guess that's almost the same, which money comes with a certain knowledge pool attached to it. So I really like the strategy side of that versus anyone I've talked to who has just taken dollars has often said that they regretted it versus the right partner, even culturally, like, are we even a fit? Like, forget about, can you open the doors? Are you going to make my life better? Or are you going to make my life worse? Cause the kind of mindset I can get money anywhere, but I need people that are going to be supportive. So, and was that mainly raised? Like, so it sounds like you guys took a very different approach. Sounds like you were you know, connected and had the opportunity and the relationships to do that. I appreciate some people might be listening going, well, I wouldn't even know who to talk to. So you kind of brought your skills to the table, which is what your unique secret sauce was most of that based in Alberta. And curious, the reason I'm asking that, is around, you know, back to my original kind of rant about tech, XX tech, prop tech. You know, there's been a lot of people in the show talk about, you know, a lot of money in Alberta, but some of that money is very uncomfortable going into sectors it's not invested in before. Tech being, I shouldn't say that because we have got an, an energy industry that has been very technology forward, but we sometimes forget that in the rhetoric when we talk about our new tech sector. Has that been a reality for you at all? Or are these more individuals that kind of had a higher get it factor when it comes to understanding what you're doing or at least believing enough in it to make an investment? Yeah, it starts with the point that you exactly made is do they believe in this like culturally, do you really believe that this is the future and this model is going to win in the long term? And everybody that's on my cap table would say yes. So that's a prerequisite. Um, the money has come from uh, across Canada, uh, Asia, the US, all, all relationships of ours, um, but all experiencing and, and knowing the same pain in terms of their own experience as part of this, what makes this company an interesting public company in the future is it's a very understood problem. It's, it's highly understood that agents are expensive and that experience is, is difficult and, and the value that they are adding over time uh, is eroding as technology advances and as people become more and more comfortable transacting online, which the vast majority of us are now even today. Um, so I would say taking a broader perspective in talking to the broader community in Alberta, I think from a venture point of view, we've seen a lot of improvement on the early phase companies, um, early phase funds, I should say. Seed, the seed level, I think, has really improved in the last couple of years. Uh, but I would say that's conservative seed, small, small amounts of money. Um, and then you, but what I think our main gap is, is bolt series A, series B, level money okay. that is Cana Canadian focused. I think that's the big gap. I think that's a Canadian gap as well. I think we talk a bit of a big game in Canada, <laughs> but, but when you look at 
the where there's bold capital uh, behind big companies with big aspirations or or companies with big aspirations. Uh, that's you know the Americans still dominate that, and that's yeah. if you just look at dollars invested last year. Americans invested 350 billion in venture, and the next nine countries combined don't add up to that. And Canada was way short of that per capita. Like they're three x what we do per capita in a much bigger market. So I think that that's where we have opportunity to grow in the investment community because I do think we have a, a strong ecosystem, strong and and building seed money, and we have an amazing culture around. Uh, entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs and people oh, wanting to help, but we need we need the big bold capital to match the talent that we have and the opportunities that we have. I really I really appreciate what you said about there is a sense of community and a sense of like hey yeah no problem I can introduce you I can help you but we need to take that up and ultimately funds are often the accelerator is the force multiplier for that you, know, you go I've got a great attitude but you know you're not writing me. A fifty million dollar check, very very different. And even if you go across, you know, I've, I know a couple of really solid companies I've had on the show that they're established. They're like, and they couldn't get any in dollars in Alberta. They had to go like, even if you take what you said between Canada and the U.S., which I agree with, and that's I've heard that. But even just go to Toronto, go to Vancouver, go to Montreal versus here, and these are companies with revenue and customers and like things were they weren't risky from that perspective. This was opportunistic for growth, and they then they came on the show and said I couldn't even get a call back from a Calgary, an Alberta investor, but Toronto was like. And I talked to the person that invested. They're like, we've been trying to invest in them for years. They finally let us in because it's such a great opportunity. But no one in our own backyard could see that. That bugs me sometimes. That's part of the show of like, well, let's get to the root of that. And you're right. I think it's just getting more comfortable with it. Those U.S. numbers you had, are those are those are those have some weight behind them. Three <laughs> x per capita. <laughs> and yeah. I guess doing it for longer, more comfortable, more capital in play, like more people that have exited just at that scale that are now kind of they're comfortable with the game. Back to what you said about. I sell four or five homes. I'm way more comfortable with it. I'm going to take this risk because it's not risky to me because I understand what's going on. We can't underestimate as humans. That's a, that's a kind of, a, it seems to be a universal truth across multiple sectors. Yeah, they, they have a formula that they've seen work. You just take Silicon Valley specifically. They've seen that yeah. formula successful for two decades. And, and then, of course, it's creating more wealth and it's creating the ability to reinvest and refine that formula and learn from each other. Um, so I think we have, we have, like I say, I think Alberta and when, when we talk to Eastern Canadian funds, um, I think their view of Alberta is that we've got some, we're scrappy, we're entrepreneurial, we're, we're, uh, aggressive or high energy, um, versus other parts of Canada. And so we have a really strong disposition for building new companies and creating uh, new success stories. Now it's just a question of finding the bold, sophisticated, aggressive money to match that. And, <laughs> to match that. And, yeah. I like the scrappy. Uh, you know, I, I, I like that. You, you swelled me a, bit, a little bit with pride. I, I like that version of, of, of Alberta. It's kind of, it's why I stay here. I moved here. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm with my people. I like it here. <laughs> but you're right. How do, we, how do we mature that? And we've done that in our ag sector over the years. We've done that in our energy sector. It is just an evolution also. If like you look at the energy and so much of what we've done there and so much of even the role the government played and, and, and money that came in and kind of high risk with potential for big return, built the oil set. Like there's so many examples of that. How do we translate that into, into other sectors and, and kind of, well, we're, we're also, you know, we're on the journey too. I do appreciate that. Yeah, we all, I want to be at the end too, <laughs> but it does take time to get there. 
Talk to me a little bit about tech because you know you and I were joking talking about load times and talking about all the factors back to making this a really smooth experience. It's not just about features. It's just about being easy, easy to work with kind of thing. From your guys' perspective, sounds like funding and partners and you built a solid team. Was the technology a factor? Like obviously talent wars, you can't turn your head without finding about the war for talent. Has that been a factor? Has that held you guys back at all? Or has that just been something that you had to tackle as part of your model? Yeah, I would say tech is... is our biggest has been our biggest challenge in terms of tech resources. Um, as you, as you're probably aware, it was, we already had a pretty thin pool of, of software engineering expertise, product QA, all the disciplines around software. Uh, when we started our company back in 2019, uh, but then the pandemic kicked in and blew up all the borders globally tech, big tech was exploding. So they were, hiring developers for two, $300,000 uh, per year each. And so we, while we always want to, I always start with hiring locally and supporting Alberta um, wherever we can. Uh, there just wasn't availability for us. And a young company isn't going to pay $300,000 for a developer. You just can't, can't make sense of that. So we ended up going offshore uh, to Eastern Europe okay. and, we have been we've been pretty happy with it. Um, they've been they've been very productive and very effective at helping us build our functionality out and refactor our site to make it really solid. Once we, we got product market fit, I would say quite accomplished by summer last year. So we've been refactoring and and building the site to uh, top tier standards for the last eleven months or so, and we're just about through that part phase of our of our maturity, which is really exciting, but I will always, that's, you know, that comes back to where is the talent and in Alberta, I think if you have, you have more investment here, you have more, we have a lot of new companies, you attract more, uh, broader investment. I think that will attract more talent and ultimately, um, that's what we want to do long-term is hire full-time employees from Alberta. Has anyone approached you about putting an ad campaign on your website to advertise that $500,000 house versus the $1.8 million house in Vancouver? <laughs> hey, move to Alberta. We got some, we got some fine deals for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that that well, is a reality. I've like working with some home builders, like the leads that are coming in are from Toronto, Vancouver. Like we see it all the time. It's real. <laughs> yeah. Sight unseen because it seems like you're getting it for a third of the price. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's part of why I'm, I'm bullish on Alberta is, you can sell that $1.8 million place in Burnaby, which isn't, we're not talking about a place on the ocean. We're not talking <laughs> no, about a place not. downtown. We're talking about a suburban, nice, you know, nice house built 20 years ago. Um, sell that house. You have 70% equity. You put $1.5 million in your pocket and then you buy a house, equivalent house here for 500000 in cash and still put you know, a million in your pocket and the average Canadian retires with $700,000. So just on that one transaction, you basically set yourself up for life, uh, which is a lot of what we're seeing as well. Like our Ontario traffic last year grew 40% uh, in terms of looking for Alberta properties. So we see that as well in, in working with home builders and with our, with uh, our growing user base as well. The average Canadian retires with 700K. I didn't know that number. Interesting. You have some excellent stats, Robert. I like a guy who knows his numbers. This excellent. I'm like, oh, reference. Makes for good. Hey, guess what? Because then later today, I'll be like, hey, guess what I heard today? Did you know this? <laughs> You're fueling me up for my many, many stampede conversations that are going to be happening. Someone's like, really, Tyler? What are we geeking out about now? <laughs> 
So what's the really really good to have you back on. I love, you know, thinking back to our conversation before we had a good hour, we chatted about kind of the philosophy and kind of what brought you here. And it's great to see it two years later, like really coming in and just getting sharper and sharper and sharper is kind of what I'm hearing from the outside. Like, and, and I say this very complimentary, like none of the story doesn't align from two years ago. And that's not always the case with a startup. And that's not necessarily wrong either. Like I'm not saying that as a right or wrong, but I really appreciate how focused you guys have been and kind of doing the, 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 the things you told me you were doing, like building the team, in advance, don't ask people to work for free, hire really good people. Like all those things you did clearly are having impact two years later. What's your, what do you see for the next couple of years? I know you talked about expansion, but like, what do you see as maybe the biggest hurdles and things to overcome in the next, you know, two years have been like probably a rocket ship for you guys. What's the next two years look like? And what are some of the things you're like, okay, these are the things we got to get past to keep this momentum going. Yeah, I think it's geographic expansion is, is number one. We want to bring this service to as many markets as you can across Canada. Uh, we're planning to hit 90% of the Canadian market here in the next two years. Um, nice. And then, and then I alluded to earlier, the American market is just as challenged, if not more than Canada. Their, their commission rates are very similar. We're kind of four to 5%. They're five to 6%. Um, agents per capita are very similar. They have uh, 1.2 million agents. We have 120,000 agents. So that <laughs> that 10 times multiplier keeps <laughs> the 10 in. times is kind of almost a universal truth on for most <laughs> things, right? You 10 exit, and you're probably in the ballpark. <laughs> exactly, and and so really being able to uh, demonstrate this model works across North America is is a really exciting goal of ours. But our biggest North Star goal is to change the industry, and we can do that by like our definition of that is when uh, we have a significant market share where it is now obvious that you have these two very different choices. You can go with an agent that costs X, you can take control and do it the modern way with us that costs Y and has all the other experiential comparisons. That's creating a functional competitive marketplace, which benefits Canadians and ultimately Americans when we're there. Um, so that's, we're very, you know, very motivated to ultimately change the industry from a competitive standpoint. And there are, there are also some other things that just don't make sense in our regulations. For example, uh, why does a buy side agent get paid by the seller? What does that have to do with anything in any other industry that uh, that doesn't apply anywhere? It's a relic from 1970s when a sell agent used to hire another agent to go find buyers and then share the commissions. But fast forward to today, there's 120,000 agents. So that's all that's all disconnected and there's technology and there's all everybody shopping online. So a buy a buyer should pay a buy agent directly if they want them and they should negotiate rates that make sense for them. Especially when you consider the current the current way it's done is a percentage variable uh, score. So it's a variable mm -hmm. pay. So if you're the buy agent, you're actually negotiating against your buyer because if you if Tyler's buying a million dollar property, your incentive is to make him pay 1.2 because you actually make more money when that happens. That's how that's just broken. So just an, ex <laughs> just an example of of regulatory change that we'll be uh, fighting for because it's not a vendetta against agents; it's a industry structure that's that's disadvantaging Canadians and making it all very confusing and creating incentive misalignments that uh, you know, ultimately have a big impact on Canadians' wealth and 
and ultimately the homes that they can afford. How's the how's the hate mail? Not too bad. <laughs> <You> get, <laughs> I'm just curious because whenever there's disruption, there's somebody who liked it the way it was. We don't have to use Uber in the taxi industry to use as a really easy example, which we but won't belabor that. Um, I remember being in a cab and right when Uber came to town and they kind of went out for a bit and then came back and I was in a cab. So I'm asking this guy what he thinks and, da, 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 and he goes, well, we've had an app like that all along. We just didn't want to use it because we didn't want people to know where we were. I'm like, but did you just say that out loud? Like, anyways, it pissed me <laughs> off. It's, that was years ago and it still bugs me to this day. But uh, do you, uh, I'm assuming you've got some naysayers, which anybody who's disrupting anything, uh, it's kind of a good sign that you're disrupting something if you actually have naysayers. Is that a conversation you run into? I'm, I'm more just curious. It's kind of irrelevant at this point of the chat we're having. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, it's a, uh, I would say it's a blend. You have, you have some agents that are basically saying, I knew this was going to happen eventually. Um, can I join your company? <laughs> to nice. the, the other extreme of, you can't do this. This is against the rules. This is illegal. And of course, it's not. We're regulated. We're brokerage. We follow all of our rules. So if you're, um, if you're attack, but, attack, attack, right? <laughs> yeah, and, mm. and I, would, I would describe it kind of broadly as, most agents just have never had to compete. So they don't know how they don't have that muscle. They just, they just try every, every other, I don't know, every, every other uh, mechanism that they can to manipulate, to uh, make life difficult with, or, or fear monger or pressure in a bunch of what I would say are, are pretty terrible ways um, Mm -hmm. because they're not used to saying, actually, here's why, I'm a better solution uh, because the industry just essentially cooperates. So um, that's, yeah. that's the broader perspective. And we're, and, and again, we have nothing against agents. That's not where this came from. This comes from Bode comes from a position of there's a better way to do it. And there's an option in the market that needs to be there so that consumers have choice and that choice leads to competition and that competition breeds a better, a better, more functional marketplace for everybody. Robert, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for your clear, concise, uh, succinct way that you explain things and the stats that you brought. You give me lots of quotable quotes here. I've got on my page here today. But um, Bode.ca, you guys, your site's great. I've been on it this morning. Browsing houses is always fun, sometimes educational, sometimes inspiring, but be careful. You might just end up buying a house or selling yours either way, or maybe both. <laughs> if anybody wants to reach out, you made the joke, hey, how can I work with you? If someone's curious and is like, hey, I'm really passionate. I love the change that you guys are creating. And clearly you've got a, 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 a the North Star is very clear and it's powerful. If somebody wants to apply or get involved, just go to your site, reach out. What's the best way? Yeah, you can hit us on our site or or drop me a line on LinkedIn. Uh, active on LinkedIn with everything that we're doing from a policy and and market perspective. So yeah, hit me up directly. Robert, it's an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on the success that you're having so far. And uh, yeah, five stars, man. I love what you guys are doing. It's awesome. Appreciate it, Tyler. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and and we should do it again. Uh, two years, man. It's happening. We're, we've started a trend now. Like three times now, it's a trend. Two years, it's just it's twice. <laughs> I will definitely see you. You've got your Stampede shirt on, which everybody can't see. I'm going to be putting mine on because I got my first event. So I will probably see you over the next, this will go out in the summer, but we're heading into our first, I would call it real Stampede in like three years. So I think the city's on fire. It's going to be a fun year. So I'm sure I will see you out about. Absolutely. See you in 10. Cheers.